to you by naturopathicearth.com. Here is certified health coach A. Gregory Luna with Confessions of an Obese Child. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is A. Gregory Luna, and we are back with Confessions of an Obese Child. Confessions of an Obese Child. Listen up. Anyways, thanks for coming back. I really appreciate it. For all of you who've who've been here since the beginning, I, I offer special gratitude for those who've been here since the beginning. And the beginning was so long ago, two months ago. But I do thank you for that. And for all of you who've, who've caught on uh, recently, I thank you for listening. Uh, just give my pod a chance. You know, we're, we're finishing up the confessions pretty soon. And we're going to switch over to Naturopathic Earth. We're actually start having some podcasts about um, weight loss tips and clean eating suggestions. And then uh, weekly, I still plan to do confessions and interview people. But we're going to start up the Naturopathic Earth podcast. And I know I've been mentioning for that for some time, but I've had some fluctuation and some tumult in my life that's required some time to be focused on that. So once that mellows out, we're going to get to that. But either way, uh, I'd like to say the last two confessions were more of an introspective kind of homage to my father with the cancer hospital and the cancer doctor. Today, we're returning back to the trials and tribulations of Gregory or Albert, Fat Albert, Albert Luna, when he was younger. We're going to confession number 17, the amusement park. So if you liked hearing about my fumbling and and tumbling and embarrassments and the summer camp and and uh, gym class and the locker room, then you'll like the amusement park because the amusement park goes back to just experiences that I had as a kid, whereas the last two were just kind of like processing my father and his influence in my life. And I know, especially in the cancer doctor, I really didn't focus on obesity and experiences that I had, but I think it was important to understand my, my father's effect on me and how his his rage issues and his alcoholism, how it affected you know the reasons I went into eating. And then the cancer hospital, though, I didn't really talk about binging per se at the hospital. I did talk about how my experiences as an obese child really undermined my confidence, and that's one of the reasons I didn't become a doctor or choose to become a doctor like my father wanted. So now we're back to good old regular confessions. So... Thank you for being patient with that. I don't plan to have an homage to my mother or uncle or aunt or my long-lost pets or anything like that. So before we begin, just a reminder, you can find me at Naturopath Earth on Twitter, and you can find me on Facebook at Naturopath Earth as well. And of course, you can find me at my website, which is www.naturopathicearth.com, naturopathicearth.com, or just Google Confessions of an Obese Child, and you'll find me over there. Please contact me. I love getting feedback from you guys. It's great. It's great. I love it. I love it because I'm an island and I don't know what I'm doing. And this is kind of something I like to do on the side just for processing, to help people process what they're going through. And anytime you guys reach out to me and talk to me or send me an email, really feels good because, again, you know, I do put in some work into this, especially with the daily blogging on the articles. And it's just nice to know that some people are responding to it. You know, I don't expect to have the audience of, you know, 
NPR, but it's just nice after a couple months just to have some followers, and I really appreciate that. So please continue listening and subscribe if you like, and you know, give me some reviews. Just, just, or if anything, just sit back and listen to me talk ad nauseum about things. So let's start with that with uh, confession number seventeen. This is the amusement park, or as I like to subtitle it. That's more of the circus. Now, I never went to a circus as a kid. I always was fearful that the elephants were going to like go crazy and just trample on everybody. So, never did that. I don't know if I'd ever take my kids to one too. But my understanding is that Ringling Brothers is going out of business, or they're no longer doing the um, the circus gig. Maybe that's just a bygone era kind of thing. Anyway. Let's begin. The amusement park in the summer beckons to kids like brightly colored cereal boxes strategically placed on the lower shelves of a supermarket. The siren song can't be resisted. This is true. This goes to supermarket science. They intentionally put the sugary cereals low in the aisle because uh, kids can see them from their vantage point. Like, Mommy, I want Captain Crunch. And then like, no, Mommy, I want Captain Crunch. Okay, fine. You know, we always like... Most of us acquiesce to the whines of our kids. So, I mean, there's there's so much supermarket science. There's so much supermarket science. It's just it's just crazy. I mean, I've mentioned to you how you know they they already put you know milk and dairy and produce in different sections because they really want you to go down the middle aisles where they make the large majority of their money. There's a very small margin in the other three things. Uh, like similar to convenience stores, you know, there's a they don't really make money off of gas. They make money off of the package processed foods. Say for McDonald's and fast food, they don't really make as much money off of the burgers as they do from the soft drinks. They make a killing out of soft drinks. Killing. So let's get off the Coca Cancers and start drinking some kombucha. Those of you who have never had kombucha before, uh, it's fermented black tea left out, and it's got fungus and bacteria. It's a fermented drink or a probiotic drink. Yes. So parents dumping kids off at an amusement park is a win-win situation for both parties. Parents can shirk parental responsibility, and kids get to frolic in the merriment of rides, games, and foods. So... Yeah, I mean, it's a win-win. It's like, you know, we've talked about this before in summer camp. Parents are exhausted, and then the summer, it's like, okay, I got 12 weeks. What am I going to do with these kids? I got to work. Boom, camp. Boom, daycare. Boom, you know, vacation, Bible school, something. So if you're fortunate enough to live in a city that's got a large uh, amusement park, hey, dump them over there. So speaking of, I lived in Houston, H-Town, as a rapper group from the 90s was known as and gave Houston that nickname. Now, Houston is officially known as Space City because we have NASA there, which when I was a kid, was a, the joke was, after the Challenger explosion of 1986, NASA stood for need another seven astronauts. That was like the joke when you were 10 years old. So we're nicknamed Space City, and we're also nicknamed the Bayou City because uh, we don't have rivers in Houston. We have bayous, and they've all been dammed up, so they look like cemented little rivers. But uh, most people call Houston H-Town, H-Town. So Astroworld was Houston's premier amusement park. Built next to the Astrodome, which was the first dome stadium in the world ever. It was acreage upon acreage of frivolity or fun. Fortunate for me, as is well demonstrated in the competitive eater, the bra, and the convenience store, and pretty much every future confession, my parents had no problem leaving me unattended in public spaces. Either they trusted me 
I whined to go to the part to the point of revulsion, or they adhered to the middle-aged belief of, well, if something happens to them, I still have the two other kids. Right? You see this belief like when people who have like 10 kids. Yeah, there, there's that great commercial. I can't remember. It was from like an oil change where like the, the mom has one kid and she's like sanitizing everything and cleaning and everything because you don't want the kid to get sick. And then with the second kid, she's like handing the baby off to the dirty mechanic. And it's kind of true. Like the more kids you have, you, you, you just don't like helicopter mom or dad them as much as you do with the earlier ones. But... Asteroid was built next to the or uh, next to the Astrodome, and if you guys have never been to Houston, the Astrodome does look like a decrepit piece of garbage. But when it was built in the '60s, it was the first dome stadium, domed arena ever, ever in human history. It was incredible, and it did have its heyday in the '60s and '70s and '80s, and then it it got kind of old. I I loved going to the Astrodome as a kid. I just loved the air conditioning of it. And that was one of the reasons they built a dome because Houston gets, you know, humid and hot as heck in the summer. It had a great scoreboard and the Oilers played there and the Astros and then the the owner of the Oilers demanded more seats. So they tore down the historic scoreboard uh, to put more seats and then eventually was like, I need more and more. And then so Houston was like, see ya, screw you. And then he took the team to Nashville. And so the Oilers became the Tennessee Titans. But it's, it's, a, it's a great building. Now we've built Reliance Stadium about 15 years ago. So the Astrodome just sits there, and there's been discussions as to what to do with it. Some people wanted to renovate it into a hotel or make it a museum. And it just sits there. I, don't, I think they're probably eventually going to tear it down, which is sad because, again, it's part of human history. We've The first dome stadium, you know, it's it's kind of impressive. But the Astro World was right across the interstate from it. And, um, you yeah, know, I mean... I remember distinctly just Albert, we go, you want to go to the you want to go to the, the amusement park? Yeah, ma'am, I want to go. Okay, let's go. And I only lived about ten minutes away from Astral. So she would drop me off. I'd have my cool season pass, like from the first day, and I'd have it in my my ocean OP wallet, the the super bright checkerboard wallets, OP Ocean Pacific. You remember how big they were in the eighties? They did shoes and shirts and wallets and all that. And I'd walk across the bridge over the freeway and I'd go to the Astroworld. And the funny thing was my parents were dropping me off unattended when I was like maybe, I mean, for sure by 12. But I distinctly remember walking around Astroworld like at seven years old. Maybe not seven. No, probably that, that, would, that would have been like 81. So I'd say about nine. By nine years old, I was walking around Astroworld. And this goes back to walking around islands and just walking around the neighborhood. I just wandered around just wandered around so i mean what else was i gonna do i was bored at home i mean we back then we had like three channels i had like very basic cable the one was at the with the box that you had to plug into the tv and it had like the long little uh changer you had to like move it across and we had hbo and it was just very primitive and so I was like you got bored so like let's go to ask the world so my memories of the park when young strike a dissonant chord with those of my adolescence. When I was young, I remember fondly riding the little rides and playing carnival games with my older brother. He was a very popular kid, as I've mentioned before, so I reveled up being around his cool friends, especially the female ones, since girls were as foreign and enigmatic to me as obscure French 1960s new wave cinema or the theater of the absurd. So <laughs> just some vague references. 
Saturday Night Live was always one of, it still is one of my favorite shows, but I don't have local cable, so I don't get to watch it as much. And I have the app, but I don't really watch it. But as a kid, late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s, SNL, that was my peak. Oh my God, I loved it. And I've never watched 60s, 1960s French New Wave cinema, but the, my only like reference to it is, is, was a great Mike Myers skit called Sprockets. And Sprockets was about this guy named Dita. And he'd have a monkey, right? Some of you guys probably remember this. And, and Mike Myers would dress up in all black. He'd pin his hair back and he'd be like, Hello, my name is Dita. Welcome to Sprockets. Now it's time on Sprockets when we dance. And then they play all this weird music. And then he'd have his monkey there and he'd be like, Touch my monkey. Touch it. Touch my love. Love my monkey. And then he would have like these weird little movie vignettes. Like, he loves me. He loves my caribou. He loves me. He lo- and I, it's like I had no idea. It was so weird. But it was all reference to, to French New Wave cinema. And if any of you guys ever seen 500 Days of Summer, which is that great jo- Joseph Gordon-Hewitt, Zoe Deschanel movie that came out about seven years ago. Great movie. I mean, it's just such a great analysis of relationships. But there's that scene where, during the breakup part where he's playing chess on the beach with the little kid. That's all French New Wave cinema. Just weird avant-garde crap. It's just really weird. <clears throat> so that's my reference to that. But uh, So when I was a kid, I'd go to Astro with my brother, and it was just fun, right? It was just, you know, I was really young. This is like five, six, seven. So at, my, at, that, at that age, my weight had not yet burgeoned to the point where it stymied or thwarted my enjoyment. God, you got to love that verb, stymied. For I did what all kids did. I rode the rides, played the games, and just walked around, caused mischief. You know, like kids are. You know, like they'll go, you know, we used to prank call or knock on doors and run away. We used, in my neighborhood, it had a very racial slur, you know, the N-word knock. So, hey, we're going to go N-word knock. And I don't even know where you got that expression, but doing that, you knock on somebody's door and run away. It's just so ridiculous. But, yeah, at the time, that's what we did. So it was a good time when I was a kid, but as my weight and age increased, and as my middle brother left to go to college, my experiences as Astroworld changed. So like the summer camp, I'm just going to mention a few of the things that stick out in my head, because again, this was like 30 years ago. Group stalking. I loved walking around Astroworld alone, just taking the sights in, playing carnival and arcade games, because back then they had article, uh, arcade games. I remember distinctly one of the games I loved was was Journey, the video game. Now, Journey, the 80s band. You remember Steve, Stephen Perry, you know, Open Arms, Don't Stop Believing. You know, um, Glee made that song really big again. But in 82, so I know I was going there when I was eight because 82 is when Escape came out, the album. And that's the album that had Don't Stop Believing and Who's Crying Now and Open Arms. Anyways, I remember distinctly, they created a video game called Journey, the Escape. And so you could be any of the five members. And it was something about like attacking aliens. And if you were the drummer, you had to shoot back these aliens using your drums. And if you're the guitarist, you'd have to shoot aliens with your guitar. So lame. So lame. But it was a great game. Anyways, they actually had arcade games for a quarter. I've, I've mentioned that before in, I think, probably the convenience store. But playing, I was playing carnival and arcade games and eating an inordinate amount of junk food, of course. And, you know, look, I, my parents are giving me tons of money. I'm walking around alone. What else am I going to do but eat and play video games? You know, so I guess a morbidly obese teenager walking around cotton candy in hand was the proverbial blood to sharks to sadistic bullies. 
The summer I was 16, a group of boys continually harassed me. My first recollection of them was waiting in line at the Whitewater Rapids ride. And I can't remember what it's called. You know, the one where you get like seven people in a big circular rapid, circular raft, and you go through the rapids and you get splashed on. They first added the huck, they uttered the hackneyed fat slurs, but unlike other hecklers, they pestered me after the ride. I remember this distinctly because, again, you know, you have, you have a lot of memories about ridicule, but these kids were like probably older than me. And they, you know, I was like 15, 16 at the time. I was alone, right? My brother had already gone to college. So these kids were probably my 18, 19, and they would just harass me. They would just literally harass me. And a lot of kids would make fun of me while in line or after the ride, and they just go off and do their thing. But these kids, they would follow behind me making comments afterwards, like when I would walk around, and threats similar to like a battalion man who catcall attractive women. And for this summer when I was 16, for some reason they were like always there. They were always there. And so like they would see me. It was like the, the bullies at school, you know, and you're walking through the hallways and then they see you and they start walking after you. But uh, Astro was gigantic. So I don't know how they ever found me all the time, but they always would find me. And so they would catcall and hiss and I tried to run away from them, but uh, they were much faster than I was because, you know, I was morbidly overweight. If I was fortunate to find a security guard, he would usher them away so I could escape into the relative anonymity of the amusement park. But these kids would always find me, kind of like, you know, the the Robert De Niro character in Cape Fear, Max Cady. It's like he would always just harass me, and I could never enjoy myself because I was always worried that these guys were going to just pop up. And I remember thinking, you know, is, is this like how they want to spend their entire day, just making a fat kid cry? You know, don't they want to like hang out and play? But I guess that's what they did, you know. Maybe they used the park and his escape from their own dysfunctional family. I don't know, but it, it was it was tormenting. It was really tormenting because I loved going to the park, but lots of times these kids would be there, and then they would literally follow and heckle and harass me for hours on end. You know, I couldn't, you think about it, I couldn't go to the bathroom, they'd go in there. And so I'd always be like, stop, stop, stop. So if there, if there was a cop nearby, it would, it would it would work for a little while, but eventually I had to tell my parents. So I told my parents and... I told, I guess it was my parents told the park administration. And even then they had like camcorders or cameras around. And so they eventually figured out who they were, I guess, because the ID of, of, the, um, of the, the season passes. And they put them on probation. So, you know, like if they didn't stop, they were going to get kicked out. So, you know, unlike the swimming pool, I appreciate the authority figures actually stepping up and defending me. It was quite nice. But I do remember that. I was at group stalking. Now, group stalking is an actual term. If you ever Google group stalking, uh, this goes back to conspiracy lands because, you know, I love the conspiracy theories. Group stalking is a, a lot of people who are paranoid schizophrenics believe this, where literally groups of people are stalking you. So imagine like walking down a street and then in the distance you see like eight people just staring at you. Then you turn around, walk down the street and you round a corner and there's like eight people watching and stalking you. And then you turn the corner and there's just people who are always just staring at you and walking uh, towards you. And so like the group stalking, it's like, is this like a figment of the imagination where you feel like you're being stalked? Because that's what paranoid schizophrenics do, right? They hear voices, they see things, they think that the government's trying out to get them or is out to get them. But I mean, you will literally find support groups for group stalking. These people literally believe that groups of people are stalking them and following them. 
And it's frightening when you think about it. It's really frightening to think that that could actually happen. Now, maybe there's this grand cabal, this conspiracy, where maybe people are trying to get you to think you're crazy, but it'd be quite frightening. And uh, I, I do remember, you know, the season passed. I took my kids to Fiesta, Texas, which is the Six Flags amusement park over here in San Antonio a couple of years ago. And I was outraged because now I guess SeaWorld is the same way, but I've never been to SeaWorld. And maybe the Disney parks are the same, but they make you do biometric scanning now to get in, like the thumbprint. And I remember going to Fiesta, Texas, and I was they're like, okay, well, for you to get the season pass, you have to give your thumb scan. I was like, hell no. I'm not going to give you my thumbprint. Okay, so a lot of people don't get this. Okay, so a lot of people work like the local big grocery chain here, HEB. They make their employees do the same thing. You got you to gotta scan in with your thumb fingerprint. And a lot of people don't get this because it's sold as convenience, right? Or just it's sold as this is something you have to do, so do it. But again, it's freedom. It's Fourth Amendment violation. I don't have to give my fingerprints or my retinal scan or anything like that to the government because A... It's none of their damn business is they don't have the right to my fingerprints. And, and secondly, you don't know who that's being sold to your fingerprint scan. Now, Six Flags could have it, but they could be selling it to the NSA or the CIA or a third party. Just like the little convenience fobs that you get at CVS and all these places, all the supermarkets, right? It's a certain price, but if you get it, you sign up for our little fob, you get the discounts, right? Again, Government is tracking you. These companies are tracking you, theoretically, so they can tailor advertisements for you, like in Minority Report by Tom Cruise. But really, they're tracking all your purchases. And so it can be an issue later on, because again, this all this information, kind of like Facebook, all this data mining that we don't really think about because we're so addicted to social media, all this can be used against us later on. So for example, if you eat a lot of food or they notice through your convenience card fobs, that you're buying a lot of junk food, and next time you apply for life insurance or whatnot, you might get higher rates. You know, it's, it's just little things like that that we don't think about. But I told him, hell no, and I raised up enough of a fury when I was getting checked in that, you know, the, the, the person at the turnstile is like 16, right? This is pimply-eyed 16-year-old. So they're like, I want to go get my manager. So they go get the manager, and the manager's like 19. And I'm just like, I am not going to give you my thumbprint, okay? So deal with it. Are you going to lose my business? And of course, they always kowtow. Yeah. The roller coaster. I boasted as a youth that I rode every large roller coaster at Asteroid by age 10. Even the Texas Cyclone, which was the big kind of like Coney Island roller coaster. I love the adrenaline rush and the fear of possible death that looms over all amusement rides. Now, this is way before Final Destination. Now, those Final Destination movies freak me out. Okay, they're just too close to home. Some of the deaths they come up with are so creative. Um, but I can't watch those movies. In general, you know, when I was a kid, I used to love horror movies. Now I can't watch any horror movie in my old age. So that came to a crashing halt metaphorically, of course. Uh, beginning around 16, I was disallowed from writing due to safety concerns. And safety concerns is really just a euphemism for I was too fat. I remember the first time I became the Rosa Parks of the obese nation. It was a new season, and either I had gained a lot of weight over the past year or a more stringent policy was enforced. One time I was waiting in line. This must have been like in May, you know, at the beginning of the season, for the customary hour or so when I sat down on the ride. And at this point, there were two issues. One, the lap belt that would protect me was not closing anymore, 
or I couldn't fit in the seat. It really depends on the on the ride. But you know when you go in those those rides, you pull that thing over your over your uh, your shoulder and it goes in front of you. That one I could still do, but the one that would go over your waist, you know, that just that dun, 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 makes that sound and it goes over your waist. That one wasn't fitting anymore because I was so fat. Either that or the rides were one of those like because they shaked a lot. The seats were really small. So you wouldn't shake around as much. And so I had a problem with both of those rides because I couldn't fit in those seats. And this goes kind of go like this. This kind of beckons to airline seats. You know how obese people are asked to pay twice, pay for two tickets because they're so overweight because it's inconsiderate that they're like spilling into the, the seat of the neighboring person. And, you know, I'm ambivalent to that because... I get it. You know, if you're sitting next to someone who's more overweight, you know, you're not going to be that comfortable. But at the same time, you got to feel bad for the obese person. So it's a, it's a tough line, but I couldn't fit in the seat, you know, and it was a problem. It was a problem. I remember distinctly like the teenage girls employees huddling up together, whispering. They're like, So they'd speak to their manager, of course, who was like, you know, 19, right? And then the manager would come up to me and be like, uh, hold on, let me smoke my, my dope. Uh, you can't ride this ride due to safety concerns. And nothing was really lost in translation. It was because I was too fat. And I knew they were right to a certain extent, right? I love the roller coaster, but if I knew the lap bar couldn't close over me, I was risking my life. So... I acquiesced and I listened to their request and I waddled away. And it it was embarrassing because you know they'd be like, uh, "You're you're you're like too fat." Now either they would just say it straight out, like in the swimming pool, which I'm going to mention in a second at Waterworld, or they'd just be like, "Oh, you can't ride this due to safety concerns." But you know, fat people we might be overweight, but we're not stupid. So we kind of knew what it meant. And again, you know. It's like, it's like when you eat crap your whole life or smoke your whole life and they tell you have lung cancer, you know, the first the thing to do is to be angry and have denial. But really you can't. You got to look in the mirror and realize that you did this to your own body and to yourself. So whenever I get type 2 diabetes for the, you know, 20 years I ate garbage, I can only blame myself. So I can only blame myself here. I mean, I knew they were right for denying me the ability to go on the ride. But at the same time, you know, it just kind of reinforces the self-loathing that you have for being fat in the first place. Like, see, I'm so I'm so fat that I can't even get in the ride. Where's my pizza? You know, which we've mentioned quite a bit. That cycle, that that circle of shame that Elton John would sing if Lion King had a sequel about binge eating. Waterworld. Waterworld was Asteroid's sister park. Similar to the swimming pool in the summer camp, I detested the water park. I would avoid it at all costs, but I did like to swim, and I felt that the t-shirt I wore would magically blind people to my obesity. So I did like going to the swimming pool. I mentioned that in the previous podcast. And Astroworld had, you know, better slides and a wave pool, which I'll mention in a second. And it's just fun going, but at the same time, it was really embarrassing. The beauty of Waterworld is that, you know, unlike the community park where I knew a lot of those kids because they went to school with me, at Waterworld it was relative anonymity because it was a citywide park. So that that was nice. I distinctly remember being around 17 years old and going to the big wave pool. I'd never been in a wave pool before. And at Waterworld, they had this policy. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a wave pool, but they're gigantic. 
And at the time, back in the, you know, 1990 or so, uh, they had this policy at the wave pool where they would turn off the waves for about 15 minutes and let it be like a wave pool, like let it to be a regular pool. So I guess like the little kids could get in and they would kick it back in in the wave pool. And the wave pool was progressively deeper the farther you went in. So I didn't know this when I got there because again, I didn't really like going to water parks or for whatever reason, I didn't know. Maybe it was the beginning of the season or something like that. I really don't remember how I didn't know this. So I jumped into the wave pool in the deep end because it was like, uh, you know, regular water. And I swam to the middle, and then all of a sudden I hear this. So they turned the wave machine back on. And I had mentioned in the previous podcast, uh, I, I don't remember which one it was, maybe it was the cancer doctor, how I never went into the beach because I was petrified of jellyfish and undertow. And so I, I didn't know how to swim in waves. And, and so the waves were just enveloping me. I was freaking out, and I was literally drowning. I couldn't. You know, as soon as I got back up, the next wave would splash over me, and I was literally having problems. So even though I could swim, I was struggling, and I yelled for help. And so the lifeguards jumped in, but because I was so fat, one of them couldn't get me to the, the shore or the side alone. So he'd, he'd call in his two other guys to push me to the, side, to the side. I felt like I was like Shamu or something like that, you know. It was so embarrassing, but I was literally drowning. And and I recall this experience very vividly because this was the closest I've ever been to drowning. And it was in a pool. And so the three were pushing me to safety and they snickered. You know, they were making fun of me. And I distinctly remember once I got to the ground, one of the guards, the lifeguards, he told me, he goes, you're too fucking fat. Lose some freaking weight. I guess I shouldn't have said the F word, sorry. But he said that to me, and I distinctly remember that, because in a lot of these podcasts, you distinctly remember like one or two phrases that were said to you. you know, so um, you know, it, it was sad. I was, I was really embarrassed and petrified, you know, because again, overweight people know they're overweight, so it's like, I don't need jock boy number two, stoner boy, lifeguard boy, you know, telling me that I'm overweight, okay? I, I knew that, just like the old German dude who's going to tell me in a second. So that was my experience. So Waterworld, not a big fan. Even though I was like 15, I would stick to like the kiddie slides and the kiddie pools. After that, I was like traumatized. I'm like, freak, no, I'm not going to go back into the wave pool, even though I knew the policy by that time. But, you know, the good thing about Waterworld is you got to check out the girls, you know. And so this is something I'm going to mention later on. I'm writing my two-part on the opposite sex on girls. And... I think people forget that just because you're overweight or just because you're a nerd doesn't mean you don't like, you know, girls. And so one of the beauties of Waterworld and the swimming pool was I liked looking at the girls, right? Like every heterosexual guy does. So for that reason, I like to go, but I would try to keep like a low profile, right? That's what all overweight people do. We like to lurk in the corner and just look and be very observant. We don't want attention drawn to ourselves. So I just kind of lurk in the corner, you know, kind of look like a, like a, like a creepo. And then I just check out the girls and not really go in the water. Wear my shirt. My shirt was my protection. The other issue with the water park was, you know, if I did go in, if I didn't dry myself, well, I'd get the proverbial rashes that you've talked about in a lot of these podcasts. And so I'd walk around the amusement park all wet. And, uh, you know, in the summer in Texas, you if the sun is out, you dry up real fast. But still, you don't dry well, you get the rash, and then, you know, I had to get my mom to pour, you know, baby powder 
and diaper cream on me when I was a freaking teenager. Girl ugly. Like the broadcast, you spoke out about the horror, the horror, as he was recorded live during the Hindenburg explosion. The irony, the irony that I too stalked. So like the, the I had those old weird group stalking bullies when I was 16. Well, the irony was I kind of stalked girls, but it was different. Like any teenage boy, I liked girls and I thought about them and I had crushes on special ones at school, which I'll mention in a couple podcasts, and daydreamed about them. But at Astro, I distinctly remember following gaggles of pretty teenage girls. Now, this wasn't like creepy, okay? I never confronted them. I, uh, I, you know, I never talked to them, heaven forbid. You know, I'm not going to like ask them out or, hey, my name is Albert. You won't call me Fat Albert, you know. No, I just like would see like a gaggle of, you know, 80s Madonna dress, wannabe Taylor Dane, Debbie Gibson looking girls, because that was like the fad, Kids Incorporated kind of look. And uh, just just like kind of walk behind them and like wherever they would go, like if they went to go eat or car, I would just kind of be lurking, you know, behind the bushes. It's like I could even just be like normal and just sit somewhere and just like look at them. And I didn't wear sunglasses. For some reason, I, I guess I thought, you know, teenagers couldn't wear sunglasses, or at least fat teenagers couldn't. So I'd literally be, like, lurking behind bushes and corners. So if these girls ever noticed me, they must have thought I was a total creep. Like, But I don't remember them ever ever doing it. I would, like, just just observe them, like, like Diane Fossey in the, you know, the gorillas or something in Africa. I just... To me, girls were just so foreign and impenetrable to me. I just didn't understand them. And I'm really going to talk about this when I cover the opposite sex confession. But I just didn't understand women because I didn't have any bro- any sisters. And I never spoke to them in school. So they were just like so foreign. I mean, even now or when I was a kid, especially, I thought that girls never farted. It was just like they would just like release bubbles of fun and sweet smelling perfume bubbles every time they flatulated you know i just didn't have like any idea like how girls worked and frankly i probably still don't know i mean they are an enigma even though i do have experience with women as demonstrated by the fact that i have children the arrangement as with the convenience store and the competitive eater i had to score my food right i was like one of those like like just crafty uh entrepreneurial um. Oh my God! What's the word when you have a lot of moxie? Oh, I hate live podcast. Yeah. So with my twenty dollars, even in nineteen eighties dollars, didn't go far. The twenty dollars that my parents gave me. So one summer, and this must have been eighty-eight. Maybe I was fourteen. I befriended a couple of geriatric men who worked in the German food section of the of the food park. Now these dudes were German, like old German guys. So I don't know. They could have been like like former Nazis who who got smuggled to the U.S. through Operation Paperclip. Now, if you guys don't know this, the U.S., the Vatican, and the CIA smuggled a lot of Nazis, scientists, doctors into the United States and South America. This is Operation Paperclip. And they called it Operation Paperclip because on their visa application, when it was asked what their occupation was, they were told to put paperclip makers. So you're like, what? Yeah, we we smuggled Nazis over. Now, th- this is the ostensible reason. Think about it. If you know anything about World War II history, the Soviets occupied Germany, and they were moving in from the east. 
And so we thought, okay, these Nazi German scientists, not because they were Nazi that they were brilliant, it's because the Germans are just brilliant scientists in general. I mean, if you look at the history of Germany, the best writers, you know, the best scientists. And so we're like, hey, it's better for them to be in the free world and to be abducted by the Soviets and then made to work for the Soviets. Kind of like Jern Erso's dad was made to work for the the Empire in Rogue One. Kind of similar to that. So we smuggled a lot of these Germans out. And now it wasn't like the the Mengele types. These were like just, you know, they probably were part of the Nazi party. But they weren't like heinous, horrible people. And we'd smuggle them over to South America or to the United States and have them work for NASA. You know, Werner von Braun was a Nazi. He was involved in the rocket program for NASA. My dad, and I forgot to mention this in the cancer hospital one, my dad told me straight out that there were former Nazis that were working at the hospital he was at. They, they told him they were former Nazis, you know, because my dad had that great relationship. And so the, the cancer hospital, you know, these were just good cancer doctors from Nazi Germany. And, uh, you know, back then there was, a, there was a peer pressure, like you had to join the party or you couldn't advance up. So a lot of people in, in Weimar Republic and then later, you know, early Nazi Germany, they just joined the party because that's what you were expected to do, you know, if you want to have any sort of advancement. But he told me about that, and and um, a lot of MK Ultra, the mind control the CIA did. There was that was run by former Nazis too. But that, that's neither here nor there. So, anyways, the these old German dudes worked at Astro. Sorry, I thought they were like, well, this is like the closest to Bavaria. I guess I'm gonna get where my Lederhosen and sauerkraut. Speaking of German food, not a big fan of German food. So. I worked in the German section, and I really liked the water balloon game that happened to be in that section, and I liked the big pretzel. So if you ever play the water balloon game there, that's where you got to shoot the water balloon, uh, the water gun at the little target, and it inflates the balloon. And so the game is like whoever's balloon gets inflated and pops the fastest gets the uh, prize. I For some reason, I love that game. I don't know why. That and the one where you used to throw the balls... The, uh, the 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 pool table balls into the holes, and that would move the horses forward based on which hole you threw it in. You think of carnival rides. So many of them were fun, like the basketball hoop ones where you know that they distorted the hoop to make it harder to get the ball in, or the one where you throw darts at the balloon, or the ones where you throw rings on the, the Coke bottles. And Oh, man. Those were the days. Those were the days. So... Eventually, they let me eat all the sausages I wanted in exchange for mopping the back floor, or cleaning the ice machine, or doing the work they didn't want to do, you know. And, of course, I said yes because I wanted free food, and, again, I had to get my score, score my food. And, honestly, I was tired. You know, you spend the entire day at an amusement park in 90-degree humidity and heat. You need to take a break in the shade, so I, I was good with that. But I do remember one of them <laughs> telling me, he goes, he goes you, need, you need to lose weight. I remember, I don't know which day he told me this. And again, you know, I laughed uncomfortably and I changed the subject and he never broached the subject again. I don't remember what his name was. Werner, for all I know, Hans, you know, uh, Franz, like from SNL, Hans and Franz. But uh, seeing my visible discomfort he probably saw that and just probably never brought it up again. But again, it's like I, again, it's this is something that reoccurs, right? You go to the you go to the buffet, you see if an overweight kid. Do you tell the parent, hey, you're overweight, you need to get help? Is that really going to help? They already know they're overweight, but maybe if somebody tells them that, 
am I making like, wow, I'm, I'm, I need help. You know, because a lot of us don't know what we really look like or how we're really acting until somebody objectively tells us. So maybe it is good to approach a subject. So, I mean, I don't, I don't get mad at these Nazi dudes for telling me about it because I like them. I, I don't remember their names or anything like that. And it was similar to Claire in the convenience store, but I do distinctly remember them telling me that. Now, I had some great memories at Astroworld. Uh, these are just a few that I remember, but just going on the roller coasters, especially when I was really young before I was prohibited from doing so. I remember going on the Grease Lightning, which I guess is named after the song from Grease. I didn't think about it, but it was like the one where you just do a big loop, upside down loop. I remember when I was a kid, I did that ride 30 times in a row because I guess I went there on a, a morning when it was empty and you just do the ride and then you would ask him, hey, can I stay in there again? And I would do that. I, I just remember going on, on the little uh, car one where you remote control the boats in the lake or you drive your little Model T car and just amusement parks are great. You know, now I don't, I don't really go to them because I guess as an adult, I'm kind of like an old curmudgeon. I'm like, they're overpriced, $100. And it's hot and the food is so expensive. And of course, when you're a kid, you don't care about any of this because you're not paying for any of it. It was a lot cheaper too when I was a kid. Now I'm like, no, we're not going to go there. It's expensive. It's a total racket. It's a waste But at the time, I loved it. I mean, my first concert I ever attended was there. That was Depeche Mode in 1988. You know, I love my new wave. It was the Depeche Mode OMD. And 88, man, Depeche Mode was huge. Huge in 88. This was, uh, this would have been Violator, right? I think Violator, maybe Violator was 89. That was like their big one with, big CD with Personal Jesus and Enjoy the Silence. So this might have been the tour right before it. Maybe it was uh, Music for the Masses, the one with Strange Love and Never Let Me Down Again and Little 16 and Pleasure Little Treasure and all the songs. Anyways. Yeah, they were they were so big. And 88 OMD was big. They had the song from Pretty in Pink, If You Leave. If you leave, I won't cry. I won't waste one single day. So they were big. And I remember going to that concert. That was my first one. I was 14. And I loved it back then. You know, you made friends there. You know, the ones that weren't bullying you. And I just have great memories of my brothers. My oldest brother, too. And uh, just go in there and just hanging out and eating. It, just, it was just fun. It was fun. And sadly, they tore it down about five, ten years ago, Asteroid. And I don't know why they did it. Maybe, I guess it was just not making money. Or maybe it was kind of in the part of town it was at. It was kind of the southern part of Houston, which is not the best part of town. But it was sad, I guess, you know, with Astro, the Astrodome closing, maybe they had to close Astro, I don't know. But but I think a lot of Gen Xers were, and, and Baby Boomers too, because it was big in the 60s. I think it opened in the 60s. It was, you know, a lot of people, there was like a collective sadness. It really was, but, you know, everything's ephemeral. You know, everything eventually goes away and dies. Unless you're like the Great Wall of China or something like that. But So <laughs> that sends... Confessions of an Obi's Child, number 17, the amusement park. These are just some of the memories I have. You know, a lot of them, uh, you know, looking back, I would say as a whole, I had more good memories of the amusement park than bad. Now, you know, it, and again, this is 30 years ago. I'm not like... Um, 
somebody who's recently lost their way who has these vivid memories. This was 20, 30 years ago. So these are just vague recollections, but I'm sure there's things that I've did there that I don't, that I remember being taunted or whatnot, but I do distinctly remember being discriminated for not being on the rides and then being told that, you know, I was horribly overweight. But aside from that, and the group's talking too, but aside from that, I, I did have good memories of the amusement park and it was quite fun. It was quite fun. So I would appreciate it if you, if you, want to experience or tell me your experiences um, at amusement parks or whatnot, you know, please contact me. I do plan to interview people. I know I've been saying that since the beginning, but uh, my partner and I, I think we figured out how to record. So like I said, be patient. We're going to get there. Um, At this point, I'm really swamped with teaching and blogging where I've only been able to do my once a week confessions, but we're going to get there. One day you're going to pop up on the feed and you're going to see naturopathic earth one and naturopathic tooth. And once they start cranking out, I'm going to be doing those very quickly. They're going to be like little 15 to 20 minute, um, just, you know, eat clean, uh, weight loss tips. Because I, I, a lot of these confessions, I've had some feedback at them. It's like, these stories are great and I can relate to them, but how do they help me lose weight? And I know like the 21 day fix, a lot of these weight loss things are very faddish right now. They're in fad because people want just simple stuff like, what do I eat? Where do I get it? What ingredients? What time do I eat them? Boom, 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 boom. That's what you want. So these are just more like recollections for you to relate to. And you know, like what did I learn from any of this? I learned not to gain weight because it's bad for you and it's a social stigma and and so forth. But I do plan to write the the blog on how I lost my weight because some of you have asked about that. So that is that is forthcoming soon. So um, I'm pretty much done. Find me on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast and visit my website. And until next time, take care. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. Make sure to visit us at www.naturopathicearth.com for additional confessions, wellness articles, recipes, and a whole lot more. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Naturopath Earth. See you next time.